0: It's great to see you and be back today. And uh, can we just give another round of thank you and applause to Doug and Mary and uh, Brayden and Steve for bringing such a meaningful set of messages to us while we were gone on some vacation. I am so grateful to work uh, and be a part of a church with such a wonderful group of people. We have great leaders, we have great staff, and I just love being able to serve what God is doing with all of you here in our community. So we got back a little over a week ago from uh, our first out-of-town vacation where we took more than seven days away out of town. Uh, when I was growing up, some of my most favorite memories were when my family would get away for long vacations, camping, hiking, fishing, all that kind of stuff with my parents and my brothers. So uh, this, was a, this was quite a treat. Uh, it was a special vacation. And it was also a relief, all in one. It was a relief because our youngest child, Jared, has been holding it over our heads as parents that he's never had any really good mountain hiking vacations. Now we've had a few discussions about this because for some of you, you may remember that uh, Jared was born in Oregon and we lived there for eleven years. Uh, We went to the mountains and the rugged ocean coast. all the time. We felt like this was kind of a bit of an unfair accusation on his part. So we tried to reason with him and said, Jared, what, a, what about all the hiking in Oregon and Washington and Glacier and the couple trips we made to Colorado? To which he quickly responded, well, yeah, dad, but you did all that stuff before I was old enough to really remember it and really appreciate it and enjoy it so it doesn't count. <laughs> oh, the struggles of the youngest child. So we decided on this, our first trip ever to Maine and New Hampshire, that we were going to look for some of the hardest hiking uh, in the mountains that we could possibly do out there, which we did. We actually summited Mount Katahdin in, uh, in Maine, uh, which is, I think, our next picture coming up there. It's uh, described as the hardest alpine hike in New England. Uh, notice I'm sporting the Warm Quest End Poverty t-shirt. I hope you will all be a part of that. I hope you'll start inviting your friends to be part of that. And all of you who got emails, everybody should have received an email. If you can uh, try to encourage your businesses or your friends who own businesses to sponsor, 100% of the sponsorship monies go directly to Warm. We want to make uh, this whole Sunday in August be a great day to have fun, serve the community, and make a difference for poverty. So I hope you will uh, be a part of that you can actually begin to register to, to run today in the Quest app or on our website and invite your friends to do so as well on that. So uh, back back to vacation. Uh, we, uh, it, was, it was a good one. We had a great vacation. We did some great hikes. We had made some great memories. Hiking Mount Katahdin was the hardest hike I think I've ever done in my life. There were sections of it on uh, the section that you see the picture of there of Cathedral Trail that were a little bit closer to rock climbing than hiking. Uh, We gained over 2,000-foot elevation in a little over a mile. Uh, You can get kind of a little bit of a sense for the ruggedness and the steepness there, but I have to say we were not taking pictures on the steepest parts of the climb. Uh, In this one uh, picture on the far right, you can see Jared kind of way up there waving at me, uh, begging me to keep up. Now, now Jared will tell you that uh, he was merciful to me by carrying the backpack all day long with all the water and the food in it and that that really was nice of him. That was very nice of him, I got to say. But I'm not even sure he understands the difference between 17 years old and 54 years old. <laughs> Parenting is hard in so many different ways. So many different ways. At least Jared can no longer say uh, let me let me back that up and say no, Jared, because I because I've gained just a small amount of wisdom. Jared can no longer legitimately say we deprived him of hard mountain hiking in his childhood. So parenting is one of the most beautiful, memory-making, profound callings that God gives us in life. Deuteronomy 6 talks about parenting, and it says this. It says, The love of the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. That word impress, that that idea of imprinting, making the ways and the goodness of God something written in the very fabric of the lives of your children. The idea is that we get them inside of you as parents and you get them inside of your children as well. One chapter later in Deuteronomy 7, God tells us all sorts of promises and blessings that we get as parents and our children get. In fact, he says the whole nation, gets to be blessed when we as parents do our job really well. Parenting is hugely important. Through parenting, God gives us the opportunity to shape a human soul. It's hard. It's rewarding. Parenting affects every single one of us for our entire lifetime. Now, as we approach this series, I in no way want to come feeling like overconfident in this parenting thing. Wendy and I—we keep we're one year away from empty nest, and we keep talking about all the many ways we wish we wish we would have done a better job in parenting, and we're still trying to grow in our parenting skills. I also was just a little bit hesitant with the series because I realize not all of you are parents, and some of you may never be parents. I get that, but parenting is huge—this huge and holy endeavor not just for people with children, but for the entire community. In the book Sticky Faith, the authors actually cite some research to talk about how 50% of youth who attend high school uh, youth group during their high school years will leave church when they graduate from high school. What is more important for our discussion today is that they also found that among the 50% who stayed in church, one of the biggest determining factors in them staying was if an older person who was not a family member invested their life in them, encouraged them, took time to get to know them on a regular basis. You see, all of us as followers of Jesus, regardless of whether we have children or not, are called to father and mother people. We see this Christian responsibility to be mothers and fathers. And Paul, who talked about Timothy all the time as my son in the faith, we see Jethro to Moses, we see Moses to Joshua, we see Elijah to Elisha. And we may think of those things as mentoring, but mentoring in a sense is the same thing, shaping another human soul. Part of God's call for all of us as followers of Jesus is that we all get to help shape other people's souls through our friendships, through our small groups, through our workplace, through all of our relationships. And in a way, in a way, we are all also in the process of reparenting ourselves, how we do relationship with ourselves and with others. See, this PG series, even if you don't have children, can be powerfully impactful in your life. Now, for those of you who have grown children who are among us, uh, well, I'm sure you're already aware that parenting never really ends, does it? Uh, And uh, this series is going to be helpful to you to grow in continuing to build an even more positive relationship with your adult children and your grandchildren. For some of you whose kids are grown, you also struggle under this weight of parenting, this sense of heaviness and this guilt and this remorse because your kids haven't turned out like you hoped they would. You see them suffering because of bad choices or bad habits or addictions and that disappointment leaves you feeling life, living life with regret and guilt. Maybe, maybe you know you did some things wrong and you feel like you can't repair it. Or, or maybe you wonder, what on earth did I do wrong? Or maybe you just sit there and wonder, what on earth can I do now that will even make a difference? For you, God, I think, wants to meet you in this series with comfort. Taking that burden from you and replacing it with a sense of peace and hope. For those of you who are actively parenting right now, do you ever get to the place in your life where you walk in the day after a long day at work, the kids are fighting, the laundry is piled up, the clothes that your child needs for school concert that night, which you know is are there because you laid them out nicely on their bed for them, are now covered in dripping wet, smelly, dirty soccer stuff that they threw on top of it. On top of that, there's no food in the house, at least none that your kids are going to eat without a little bit of an attitude, and your schedule for the evening looks impossible. You have two cars and three places to be, and your spouse just called saying they're going to be late from work because it held them over, and you are exhausted. I mean exhausted. In the middle of all of that exhausting demand and activity, you as a parent find yourself doing lots of things, consumed with the onslaught of the daily grind and doing lots of good things, you're so very busy. But when that rare lull happens in life, you start to ask yourself questions. Where's all this heading? Am I doing the right things? What other than the ever-flooding activity around me, is the guide to the meaning of what I'm doing as a parent. What is the vision and purpose of everything I am about? I I can remember many harried moments in my life of when I crashed and I pondered parenting and I felt hopeless and discouraged. In, In those moments of exhausted reflection, even when I knew there was an overarching vision for parenting, that vision oftentimes feels impossibly out of reach because of the tyranny of the urgent. See, when we face moments like this, and we all do, we tend to start asking questions and searching for answers. And I'm convinced that we often start by asking the wrong questions and prioritizing the wrong questions. See, we often ask things like, what do I need to do? What are the strategies I need to raise better children? What tricks will make these terrible twos phase be better? What, what parenting strategies do I need to help my teen through these years of whether, where they're almost but not quite adult in their thinking and where the hormones and the sexuality are, are, are rampant and, and help them get through this time in a way that they don't make choices that are going to mess them up for their lives. So we search and we find books like these. Reset your child's brain in four weeks. The four-week plan. Wow! My child's brain. That brain that doesn't seem to compute. Basic politeness and sharing and other suddenness can change in four weeks. I mean, that's faster than pregnancy. That takes nine months. In four weeks, I can end meltdowns, this book says. I mean, what parent of a toddler doesn't dream of that, right? Hey, parents of toddlers... Meltdowns may not always be flailing on the floor, but can I just give you a little bit of a friendly expectation reset from a seasoned parent? The meltdowns continue into at least the teen years. And that's a little longer than four weeks, I think. Okay? But isn't that what we're looking for? Oh, or like this one Seven Easy Steps to establish control again in your house of your anti-authority problem team. In seven easy steps, they will become your perfect prince or princess that you always dreamed of. Just seven easy steps, and if you believe that, uh, there's seven easy steps, and you can call the number on the bottom of your screen, and you get two for one, but supplies are limited, so hurry, come on. Or maybe in this instance, it's one, two, three. Do you, do you hear Michael Jackson coming on? Right? There's a song coming on. If you just, in this next book, if you just follow the tips of this book, you can, have the, you can have the happiest toddler on the block. Of course, happiest means there can only be one on that block, so you better either hope there are no other kids on your block, or it's just going to reinforce in you the parenting drive that says, my kid has to be the best, I've got to win, right? Or maybe we as parents just aren't the right nationality. To succeed in parenting. Or, or maybe if we just do things the Christian way, we will just have a bunch of little angels. I mean, if we just do it the Christian way, that's what we're promised, right? Now, I, I don't know these authors or these books. They may be great books. And they may be trash for all I know. I have no idea. But here's the point. Here's the point. Too often we approach parenting with the question of what are the tips, tricks, and strategies I need to know and do in order to raise great kids. And it's not necessarily a horrible question to ask that. There are good things that we can learn from all of those things. But it's not the core of the issue either. And without the core, the tips and the tricks may all be good and we still don't get our children to the right and best place in life. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably also ask another question, don't you? You probably ask the question, what does God say so I can teach my kids right and wrong? Because that will surely raise great kids. See, often though, when we ask that religious question, parenting becomes all about creating the right rules where my kids have solid boundaries and discipline to do the right things and creating the right environment so that my kids stay away from the bad kids who do wrong things... And they don't become polluted by that, right? Can, can I just tell you, as a as a PK, a preacher's kid who's now a preacher, I, I've known enough PKs, and I've known enough other Christians who were raised with all the right theological and moral rules of the Bible and kept away from corrupting influences by their parents, and they didn't turn out very well in life. Parenting, and specifically parenting as a Christian is more than a set of strategies, more than tips and tricks, more than having the moral rights and wrongs correct and protecting your kids from corrupting influences. So, what's the foundation of being a good, godly parent who shapes the souls of your children well? The foundation is simple. It's the gospel. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, yeah, I know that, but but, but let's push deeper. We're going to continue to, we're going to examine in this series how absolutely beautiful and powerful and relevant and profoundly practical the gospel is, which means the good news of Jesus to us as parents and as people who want to shape the souls of other people around us. We're going to answer it in many different ways. One simple question, how does the gospel, the good news of Jesus, lead us to being Better parents. How does the gospel shape the way I think about it and how I practically act as a parent? And as we examine this, let me just give some credit. We're going to we're going to rely heavily on the work of Paul David Tripp, who's written books and done a lot of teaching on this and other places. So, so I want to give credit there. But so, where do we start? Where do we start? See, the gospel is the, the cornerstone of the gospel is relationship with God. Is it not? And relationship with God starts with what? starts with confession. See, the first confession we make in regard to parenting is actually similar to the first confession we make when we come into relationship with Jesus. It is confessing that the task of parenting is impossible. I'm not up to the task. I can't save myself. I can't make myself good enough and perfect enough to do this well enough. Romans uh, 3.23 speaks very general, but this generality certainly applies to parenting as well. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all fall short. I mean, come on, think about parenting for a second. Why would God in his right mind think that any one of us could form a human soul, right? That's like putting you in front of a racing 68-ton M1 Abrams tank and saying, stop it with your bare hands and nothing else, right? What's that about, God, that he would give us this task? There's nothing in us that is naturally right and a natural fit for parenting. I mean, I don't prioritize the welfare of another person naturally. I am not naturally patient. I thought I was, and then I got married, and then I had kids, right? I'm not naturally a servant who willingly and happily jumps up at all hours of the night with a song in my heart and a twinkle in my eye and a smile on my lips, right? I'm not naturally a person who wants to sacrifice my own time and energy and priorities for the good of someone else. I mean, naturally, I'm easily irritated, Naturally, I'm self focused. Naturally, I want others to make me feel good about me. I want others to fit into my plans and my likes and comfort zone. Yet God calls us to parenting. And it's a wonderful call. And in it, He calls us to do something that we are completely unnatural for and impossible for us to do without failing greatly. All too often, without damaging the very soul of the child, he's entrusted us to form into the good that he designed that little one to be from the very beginning. I mean, what is God thinking? I mean, we don't even have the stuff inside of us ordered well enough to know how to form a human soul. I mean, most of us are just trying to hold on in life and let God form our own soul well, much less somebody else's soul see, confession starts with confessing that parenting is impossible without God leading and empowering the way. But that isn't all the confessing we need in order to become great parents. We need to confess consistently that we are all too much like our children. You as a parent need saving from yourself in the same way as your child needs parenting and saving from themselves. Good Army 4 puts it this way. It says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Now let's put that in context, because what the text there is asking us to do, asking the Israelite parents to do, is to remember their experiences, the temptation and the sin they fell to in the desert, and how God saved them in the wilderness, and their weakness, their repentance, their need for God. It was a reminder to them to keep their soul rightly positioned with God, confessing that you are all too like your child who you're trying to parent. Now, I suspect all of us have had uh, this kind of experience on multiple occasions. Maybe maybe your details are a little bit different, but it goes something like this. Your child comes in the door after a long day at school and then after a, a game that went late into the evening. and You all are hungry and they're, and they're hungry and it's nearly bedtime, but you feel like it should have been bedtime an hour ago already. And, and you are certain at this time that someone in the house needs to shower after having played a really long soccer game, right? So after dinner and after a long, long shower, making your night even later and more tired, Your child comes downstairs and says, hey, mom and dad, I have a history project due tomorrow. What? Nobody's ever had that experience, right? But on this particular evening, you're doing really good as a parent. So you don't immediately lose it. You you, you calmly ask, okay, what do you need? Well, I need poster board. Well, that automatically signals to you that this project was not just assigned that afternoon at school. No, this project was assigned three weeks ago. And now on Tuesday night after last Friday night, when you asked your child, what do you need to do on homework over this weekend so you don't have any late nights next week, that their answer, nothing really wasn't nothing. Right? You're exhausted. And you went, got up early and you went to work early and you got off work early and you ran like crazy to go cheer for your child. You expended all that emotional energy trying not to be that parent who yelled at the refs because they were horrible and it took lots of emotional energy for you to control yourself during that whole time and you were exhausted and yet you still, in this moment, are such a good parent. You muster up enough grace to say, okay, thankfully we keep some postboard in the house because we know this is going to happen, so we handled that, you know, we got that handled. And then still holding on to that ideal parenting posture, but now by your fingernails, as in your head you start to feel your hold beginning to fall like screeching nails across a chalkboard, you manage to calmly continue saying, what else do you need, honey? Honey. Markers and a map of Korea. Okay, we can handle that. We have markers and we have something off the Internet. We can print. We can find that. What else do you need? Well, I need to interview a Korean War veteran. Do you know any? (laughs) What? At 9 p.m. at night? Child, anyone who is a Korean War veteran fell asleep an hour ago watching Bonanza on the Oldies Channel. What are you thinking? (laughs) I can't believe you are so irresponsible. When I was growing up... This is what we do, right? When I was growing up, I would have never thought of being so unprepared, coming to my parents' night before an assignment to ask them for poster board, much less to be so irresponsible to ask for them to help me find someone to interview. And we don't stop there. In fact, in my days... Why my parents didn't go to the store to buy a poster board. I had to ride my bike to the store and get it myself. And then I had to transport it home. Not in a comfortable car, sitting in the back seat, playing games on my iPhone while I'm being chauffeured. But I had to strap it to the sissy bars of my bike and ride on my banana seat bike and cover that thing with a garbage sack and dodge lightning bolts and while it was raining cats and dogs on my way home. Nobody's ever done that, right? You've never done that. As you go off saying all that to your child, what's your child saying to themselves? Gee, I really love it when mom and dad talk to me like that. It just makes me feel warm and cuddly inside. I want to be close to them. And man, I just want to listen to them and learn from them because I want to know how to get my own poster board. And I want to know how to ride home and it never get wet because you, my adorable parent, are so wise right now. I just can't do anything else but be glued to every word of wisdom that falls from your lips. Is that what they're thinking? Does this whole thing sound familiar? Anything you've ever done? Come on. We're talking about confession. We're in God's house. I, I think as lightning bolts can go through metal roofs. Right? Yeah. What's going on inside of you as a parent during this conversation? Self-righteousness, right? I can't believe you were doing this. I never did that. What's the actual issue at hand that we're trying to deal with? It's procrastination, right? So you're telling me you never procrastinated in the past and you still don't procrastinate today? Anyone here have a garage you can't drive into today? That you committed and swore you were going to clean out last year? Anybody? I saw elbows in the first service. Anybody have a, a closet that you can't get into? How about this? Do any of you do your taxes on the... On the last day possible, and then uh, and then uh, you do an extension as well, right? Sorry. Do any of you avoid a difficult conversation? You know, you should have until things deteriorate so badly, the conversation is much more difficult, if not impossible, than it should have been at the beginning. Do any of you say, do any of you pride yourself on being good under pressure? So you do a lot of really late nights and overnighters getting job deadlines and school deadlines done? See, we are in need of God's patient grace, forgiveness, and motivation to grow. Just like our child, whom we are parenting, needs God's patient grace and forgiveness and motivation to grow. But all too often, we approach parenting as though we have arrived and we can't relate to our child who needs correction and growth and freedom from sin. But, but not us. We never did that growing up. No. We still do it today, don't we? See, that tone of a lack of confession in our parenting drives so many of the mistakes we make that are harmful and sinful in our communication that hurt our children and they don't really change them at all, at least not at the heart level because many of them just leave home and then they do what they want when they're finally out from under our roof. Effectively, effective godly parenting starts in confession. But it doesn't stop there. Effective godly parenting also seeks to be, learn to be an ambassador parent and let go of being an owner parent. Think about with me for just a minute what an ambassador is. What do they do? They, they seek to represent the wishes of the king or their leader in a foreign land where they have no absolute power and can only communicate, encourage, and incentivize opportunities, inviting people to the good their king desires to bring them. Owner parents, if we're an owner parent, we tend to live and think that these children belong to me and I am responsible for their destiny. Now, we don't generally say that out loud, but our parenting reflects it. As Paul Tripp, he talks about it this way, saying ownership parenting is motivated and shaped by what parents want for their children and from their children. It's driven by a vision of what we want our children to be and what we want our children to be to us in return. But in effective Christian parenting, we're called and given the great task of representing as ambassadors the wishes and plan of the Creator God who created our children. See, the problem is for us is that there's a war in all of our hearts between living our life as an owner and living our life as an ambassador, especially in parenting. Now, certainly, we all want the best for our children but we flip between this ownership parenting and this godly ambassadorial parenting all too easily. Let's, let's examine this just a little bit more just so we get a little more of a practical idea of how this impacts all of us. The, we face this owner-ambassador battle in regard to our own identity as people, as parents, how we think about ourselves. If we are own, an owner-parent, we look to our kids all too much for our, our identity and our moods and feelings about how good we are and who we are go up and down with their behavior way too much. See, the problem is, by looking to our kids to make us feel good about ourselves and have a good identity, that, that's a problem. They, they come into the world sinful, broken, anti-authority. They want their own way. All things that are perfectly designed to make you feel really good about yourself, right? I mean... Don't tell your kid not to not, not to eat, their, to, to eat their peas if they don't want to. Don't, don't tell them to sit and be quiet when they don't want to. It doesn't matter how bad they make you feel. They're oblivious to you. They're going to cry and they're going to fight you trying to get their own way. I mean, think about this example. How do you feel about yourself when your kid is going ballistic in the grocery checkout line When all your neighbors are standing there, and especially that neighbor you were hoping to make a good impression on and become friends with is watching you, how does that make you feel about yourself? We face this ownership and battle in regard to our reputation as well. Reputation tells us who you are in the world, and it's generally derived from the community's opinions of you. See, when we are an owner parent, how others think about our children and applaud them or don't applaud our children determines how we feel about ourselves. So when your child goes through one of those really socially awkward phases and does stuff that's crazy and embarrassing, you struggle with it. Not so much because of how it affects your child, because the reality, if we're honest with ourselves, is almost all their friends are going through the same phase. So it's not like your kid is sticking out like a sore thumb right now. They're all going through it. No, the struggle that you have with those phases is because of what it says about you as a parent to those around you in the community. And because we allow it to affect ourselves that way, we put pressure on our kids and expect them to carry the family reputation. We teach in that process, actually, our kids to hide who they really are in those moments, especially when they're failing and they're struggling because of the way it might embarrass us or make us look in the community. Now, if we are ambassador parents, we have already settled in our hearts that we're parenting sinners. And that's naturally going to expose us to public embarrassment. And we're frankly okay with the messiness of the job. We're just frankly okay with it. I mean, so what that does is for us, it it frees us so that those unanticipated moments of messiness now become opportunities for us to participate in the grace and the work of God in our kids instead of embarrassment to us. See, we face this ownership and, and ambassador battle in regard to even our definition of success when it comes to parenting. You'll know that you are an owner-parent if your entire energy and drive and anxiety and pressure in parenting is too associated with a long list of social and skill indicators as a definition of whether your child is a success. A success, a success. Having a hard time talking. Like being athletic or academic, or musical, or socially popular. While these things are all generally good, they're not the most important. And they're not the most important largely because they're all about horizontal relationships. They're focused on relationships that are situational and change oftentimes with great fickleness. You may be the stud athlete in high school and then you go to college and you're a scrub or you get injured and you can't play at all. What is success then? You may be liked in elementary school and then middle school hits and the hormones and the clicks start and you are no longer part of the in crowd. And What is success then? See... As an ambassador parent, your definition of success is no longer attached to fickle, horizontal relationships that blow in the wind of popularity and circumstances. Your definition of success is focused on vertical things, on God things. You are less concerned about the fickle friendships and the social rejection that your child is always going to experience at some point in their life. And you are more concerned that your child loves God and has Him as an anchor that can take them through any situation, success or failure. You are less concerned that your child gets the top grades and gets into the best college, and you are more concerned that they have a life in which they have learned to connect meaningfully with God, follow Him, and allow God to help them live with a healthy balance, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically engaged in all those areas. You see, successful parenting becomes how well you connect your child to real relationship with God and His goodness and His ways. I am so extremely appreciative of Wendy as the mom to our children. I remember a time when one of our children was really struggling relationally, behaviorally, and emotionally. In that time period, there were lots of things I wanted to motivate to change, if you know what I mean. And Wendy's mantra to me over and over again was, Uh, Ross, those things are not important right now. What's important right now is that our child doesn't hate God or church. If we can accomplish that, all those other things will be okay. And she was right. Ambassador Parenting prioritizes representing God to our children in our parenting and connecting and directing our children to God's authority, not ours, and the goodness he wants to bring in their life. We're going to talk a whole lot more specifically about how to think about those ideas in the coming weeks. But let me just, uh, here's what I hope we walk away with today and the worship team can begin to come up. As I've been talking, you may have been seeing yourself in some of these stories and illustrations and points. We probably all see ourselves in them. Maybe you realize you are all too often, maybe even right now in some of your interactions, you're that self-righteous parent and uh, uh, rather than the confessing and the soft-hearted parent who has compassion and patience to understand the struggles of their child because you identify with them, because you realize you also need to grow in those same areas you want them to grow in. See, when we allow ourselves to start parenting, to start our days with confession, we can learn to live life with more compassion and patient understanding with fewer blow-ups and have fewer times where, in retrospect, we realize we just got angry and we vented and it really didn't do what it needed to do in the lives of our kids. Or maybe you see yourself as an owner parent all too often. You see, when we continually fight the pull in our life to be owner parents and learn to be ambassador parents, so much of the weight that we carry on our shoulders for this impossible task just goes away because we acknowledge that it's not all on us. And we recognize and marvel in the authority and the power of God, the King is the only source of hope and the the hope that we point our children to. See, we don't need to point our children to ourselves as parents for them to grow and learn. We don't need to carry the weight of being perfect or good enough to not mess up our kids because we aren't trying to point them to ourselves. We're modeling for them confession, openness to correction, pointing them to God as the only source of power and stability and identity and reputation for those lives. Now, I realize that those things can feel heady, so would you stand with me as we close and I, I want to try to help us all engage and make this a little more personally, so even as you stand, just I want your heart to just turn to God and start to start to engage with him, confessing whatever you need to confess from this from what you 've thought about throughout this message. Maybe, maybe you need to confess any self righteousness and sin that you, that has crept into your parenting that makes you Feel like you have to be in this arrived place of better than your kids instead of compassionately identifying with them in their need. Confess and allow God's forgiveness to come to you in that area and to take that pressure. For those of you who have children who are older and are not doing well, I want to encourage you right now to let go of the guilt you're carrying. And you can do that by simply doing this. Confess any error that you know you've done that contributed to it. Maybe you've already done that, so you don't need to confess again if you've already confessed it. But if you haven't, confess it now and ask God to lead you in creative ideas to make reparations that you need to do, if any. Maybe you've done all the effort you need to do. Maybe there are no more reparations you need to do. But let God speak to you about that and ask God's peace to come to you. Allow Him to get you to that place where that guilt is no longer present in your interactions, where you're free to be there and to allow the Holy Spirit to work through you in that moment to invite your children to God and to growth and to peace. Maybe you're a person here who's been living with guilt and pressure because you didn't live up to the owner expectations of your parents growing up. God loves you and He wants to take that burden from you as well. I want to invite you to talk to Him and give Him... All the sadness and disappointment that went along with that sense of rejection that you never measured up to the expectations of your parents. And allow God to come to you by His Spirit and show you the mercy and the kindness that He's always wanted you to experience. Maybe you can get to the point where you can even say, God, I want to forgive my parents or I do forgive them. Even if you can't say, I do forgive them, say, I want to forgive them. And God, I want you to begin to heal that place more in me so I can walk free. So just now, quietly under your breath, begin to pray as you need. Just have conversation. You don't have to have the right words. This is a conversation with God. God wants you in your own words to talk to Him, just to let go of the pressure, to let Him come and speak to you. and Let Him begin to reorient you to being the great ambassador He's called you to be giving you the kind of relationship with your kids or someone else where you get to shape their souls with God and make such a difference. Lord, we confess before you that parenting is hard. In fact, it's impossible for us on our own. Lord, we confess that we have all too often driven our kids with anger and strong words that are really, Lord, born out of our need to feel good about ourselves. Born out of our own blindness to the fact that we too sin and fall short regularly in the same way as our children. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you help us to tap into your peace and your compassion that comes from being a person who sees our sin clearly and experiences deeply your forgiveness in the midst of that and help us then represent who you are to us, to others, to our children, to our friends, so that they can learn to turn to you even better than we do, that they can learn to walk free in their lives even more than we have from the things that hold us back and the sins that keep us down. God, you are a good father. Lead us all, whether we're parents or not, And as we work through this PG series, would you help us become more free, more gracious, more whole, more full of of your spirit and compassion so that we can shape the souls of the children all around us, that we can allow your spirit to work through us to shape our own souls, and that we can shape the souls of this community so that your abundance and blessing that you promised would be the hallmark You said if we're good parents, if we mother and father people well, that you would bless us, you would bless the people we do that to, and you would bless our nation. Lord, you come and do that through us. In Jesus' name. Would you just continue to join in worship? It's Good to worship with you today. We do, do receive an offering at the end of the service. You can give in a couple of ways. If you have checks or cash, there's boxes by the door on the way back. If you want credit for uh, tax credit for your cash, there's envelopes there as well you can use. Or if you're not already set up, you can pull your phone out and you can text go to Quest to 77977. It'll send you back a secure link. that You can follow to give and uh, give you an option after you've given to download uh, an app, which will also integrate with the Quest app. We appreciate your generosity. Uh, God has called us and placed in all of us a desire to be generous and a desire to make a difference and it's your generosity that helps all of us together continue to make an increased difference in our community so thank you, we are so close uh, so close, if if the, if the finances come in good in August we're going we're gonna to early September start the next phase of uh, the forward initiatives we were just so close and I want to thank all of you for your generosity to help make that happen uh, going forward um, I also want to uh, step back as well and let you know to this week, if you want to follow up with this message, just allow God to have some time with you to make it go deeper. We're going to be pa- posting on Facebook and, and Instagram uh, these various slides with just some short thoughts, uh, kind of summarizing some thoughts and questions that you could sit with and allow God to work with you to help you uh, grow as an ambassador parent, as a parent that is going to see the good stuff God wants to see in your kids, so I want to encourage you to look at that this week. Um, next week, the next two weeks, actually. So, how many of you have ever had a fight between you and your spouse, or maybe even at work when you were a supervisor position and needing to discipline somebody about whether we throw the rule book at them or whether we give them grace? No, nobody's ever fought about that, right? That, that you're just always on the same page on that one, right? Over the next two weeks, we're going to look at those two topics. We're going to look at rules and the right role for rules and the good that they bring, and we're going to look at the right and proper stewardship for grace and try to discuss those to give us a better roadmap to make it through those discussions in a really, really healthy way. I hope you will go home and invite your friends, especially your friends who are parents, to join us next week, and uh, they can uh, listen to this message if they want to. It should be online by tomorrow night. But uh, before we dismiss, if the prayer people could come right now, I just I have really felt all day today, like especially this piece of the message to some parents who have grown kids who they're not where you want them to be, and you just carry so much weight, so much sadness over that. I just, I just felt like God wanted to touch some people in that arena. So I want to encourage you today not only to allow yourself to respond to God in that, but maybe even to come down. And just ask for prayer. You don't need to tell the details. Just ask for prayer from one of the people down here and allow maybe the Holy Spirit to come to them to touch you. If you have any other need, healing or otherwise, feel free to come on down. Uh, we've got a great small group fair out there, a great way to get connected. Lots of ice cream, fun for the kids outside. And I, I, I would guess that some of the water games outside, some of the slip and slides, guys, adults, um, women, if you want to go do that, go do it with your kids and, and go home all wet. It'll be a great day. and We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.